does, and tell me what's a happening. This is Pyromaniac Mo coming at you with the 30th episode of the Pyrolite Podcast. Hey, you got a taste of the funk that is the Cross Bronx Expressway from 1974. Oh, yeah. And if you are feeling the vibes that brought you in, stay tuned at the end of this fantasy football talk, and you can hear the Cross Bronx Expressway in its entirety. Stay tuned, folks. I've got Mr. Paul Chargian going to sit down for a fantasy football talk with me momentarily. And uh, we get into some real good stuff. I really had a good time with Paul, all the knowledge that he dropped. And, of course, many of you know him from League Safe. Now, are you thinking about setting up a new league but don't want the hassle of asking your delinquent buddies to send the check already or worse yet? Maybe you've won a league and it's been months since week 16 and you're still checking the mailbox for the payment. This sounds familiar. League Safe is for you. If you are setting up a new league, go to LeagueSafe.com forward slash Pyro. That's LeagueSafe.com forward slash P-Y-R-O. Not only will they take care of the payment collection and payout at the end of the season, they're going to give you $10 just for signing up with the Pyro promo. Again, LeagueSafe.com forward slash Pyro. They've got all the details. This way, all you have to worry about is the fun stuff. LeagueSafe takes care of the actual money. Let's face it, the money aspect of fantasy football can be a headache to track and organize at the beginning of a season when you're starting out a new league. That's where League Safe comes in. Again, new League Safe users get a $10 bonus thrown into their balance. So essentially, you're padding the pot at the end of the year. Each league must have at least $250 in their league balance and five unique paying members in order to qualify for the 10 bucks. That's it, folks. So just go to leaguesafe.com forward slash pyro to get your new league up and running and you get $10 just for doing it without all the hassle. All right, guys, as I said, this is the Pyro Light Podcast, episode number 30. We're coming at you in early April in 2016, of course, talking about the fantasy football season that is coming up, and I can't wait for it to get here. So, as you know, with my fantasy football talks on the Pyro Light Podcast, I'm talking to folks around the industry. We're trying to peel back the curtain. Uh, We want to expose you to as many cool ideas that are out there, and as Houdini says... Rather than feed you for a day, we're hoping to teach you to fantasy fish. So we're going to give you as many different ideas and uh, competing theories as there can be. And Paul Chargian is just really a titan in the industry. He's a guy that I have listened to over the years and uh, taken his fantasy advice. He, He provides some great insight, and we had a fantastic talk. So stay tuned for that. I really want to thank him and all the boys at League Safe for uh, helping me out over the years. Honestly, it was one of the more enjoyable fantasy football talks I've done on the Pyro Light Podcast. Just a reminder, guys. Pyro Light Podcast, uh, I'm doing the fantasy football talks during the offseason. From time to time, I'm going to highlight some of the cool stuff we're doing at pyromaniac.com. You know, we've got our draft kit out right now for purchase $20 for a weapon of mass destruction. During the season, we've got the Pyro Pro subscription service. And speaking of that, guys, if you leave a review on iTunes in 2016, you're going to be entered in a drawing that could get you access to the Pyro Pro membership for one full calendar year. So again, leave a review in 2016. All reviews left from January to April are going to be entered into a drawing, and one winner is going to win a free Pyro Pro subscription service for one full year. With that, you get access to the Mindshare. You get all of our rankings for quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight end throughout the year, plus for every ranking that Dog does, we are writing up the guys, telling you what we think about the matchup, uh, who they're going to be paired up against, all kinds of in-depth knowledge to help you set your lineup. It is a fantastic service that you can get, plus there's a resource toolbox, all kinds of stuff. We are dropping in there, uh, news feeds, pyro take on certain transactions, and uh, guys we like for the week, guys that we're staying away from. So it's a really great deal to help you win your league, and if you leave a review in 2016, you could get this for free for one year. So head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. All right, guys, I'm cracking open a Valverde. Tonight I've got uh, some shorts Huma Lumalicious out of my Founders mug, 
And I really enjoyed the talk I had with Mr. Paul Chargian. So without further ado, here you go, Pyromaniacs. This one's for you. Hey, Pyromaniacs. As promised, you know me, Pyromaniac Mo, and I am sitting here with Paul Chargian. You guys can follow him on Twitter. That is at Paul Chargian, P-A-U-L-C-H-A-R-C-H-I-A-N. And Paul, of course, is an instrumental force in the fantasy football world. He is in the Fantasy Sports Hall of Fame and president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Mr. Chargian started Fanball back in 1993, and he is the creator and co-owner of League Safe and League Safe Post. You can hear him on the Fantasy Football Almost Daily podcast, and he is the host of the longest-running fantasy football radio show in the country. I'm talking, of course, about Fantasy Football Weekly. Been on the air for 22 years, and you can find it on KFAN and, of course, the iHeartRadio. Mr. Chargian, thank you for gracing us with your presence today, sir. Oh, coming down from my pedestal to, to be on the show. Yeah, that's me. Happy to be hey, here. Thanks so much, Paul. And uh, just a quick side note, I, you know, Pyromaniacs have heard me talk about you. Uh, you've been sort of one of the tools in my arsenal for years. So uh, Pyromaniacs, it doesn't get much better than Paul. So uh, really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It's very nice of you to say, and I appreciate you following me from afar. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, Paul, Pyromaniacs should know of your work. Uh, they certainly heard me reference it with both the Empire League, which we're going to get into here, and uh, the Do the Opposite Draft strategy as well. Listeners to the Pyrolite podcast and the Pyro Heavy should be familiar with both of these concepts. But uh, tell fans maybe that haven't heard of you uh, where they can find your work these days. Um, well, you know, a lot of places you mentioned, um, the work that I do on fantasy football weekly, uh, the radio show, um, which is in season only then out of season, uh, fantasy football almost daily is the podcast that we do out of our office. I, uh, periodically throw things up on leaguesafepost.com, our uh, content site to go along with league safe. And, um, I do a lot of uh, radio work across the country in different stations as well. But again, that's all in season, you know, right now we're just chilling out. This is, this is pleasant. Chilling out, watching a little uh, of the, the golf in the background there? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Good man. Now, Paul, we're constantly trying to peel back the curtain here. Uh, basically, the idea behind some of these fantasy football talks I do is to make the fantasy world a bit smaller. Share the wealth of experiences, as it were. Yeah. So in that spirit, is there a specific site that you use, or, or maybe it's not even a site, maybe it's a, a data point, a stat, a metric, something you find particularly useful during the season? I think there's no, there is no magic statistic or data point. I mean, because every situation is so unique and you, know, you can't even look at any one player and you know, point to a specific statistic. I think that's, that gives you a full scope of what that player is about. I think the best... The best fantasy football analysts, the ones who I like the most and respect the most, are the ones that can pull disparate figures across a lot of different sources and apply it to, in the right way to the right player at the right time. And I, I think that's just that's an ongoing battle. And I think it's I, I'd go so far as to say I think it's almost lazy if you just say, well, you know, I've got this statistic as my go to stat that I just try to apply universally and it usually works. I think even even if you were to apply it and successfully for one player in one week, you know, the next week there could be injuries and issues and field conditions and coaching changes and, you know, new opponent and all these things have changed that I just think if you, I think you have to be super, super nimble and the, the best analysts are the ones that are willing to work hard to get out of the box and, and apply new thinking every week. Um, based on what you learned last Sunday and trying to apply it to the next week. So I don't think there's a magic bullet here. And, you know, for me, I go to dozens of different sources to try to try to find find what I'm looking for for, for a variety of different stats and, and situations. And so I, I, I don't I don't I don't I'd like to just say, yeah, you know, here's this one place that I go and I really love to, you know, this particular stat. But I just I just think you have to be more dynamic than that, and you have to apply different thinking to almost every player in, in every situation. Well, you know, that's exactly the idea behind the, the uh, impetus of the fantasy football talks, to hear from all the different wealth of people in the community. And it's great. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit down on from week to week. I'll have total 
different opinions, say, on one guy or, or one team. And th- that's what I love. I think the, the best thing we can do is provide as many outlooks as possible and let the fans pick and choose for themselves, right? Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, here's you know, one of the things that, I, that, um, that I've spent a lot of time with and really, really come to kind of – that I try to remind people about as often as I can is this. You know, nobody, nobody's right all the time and nobody is, nobody is um, infallible. And what we ask, what I ask my listeners to do is, you know, when, when I throw a strong opinion that I've got on a guy and, you know, I'm putting my ass on the line, you know, just understand that it's, it's still your decision to make and you need to be the one who's accountable for your own decisions and, and make, make the best decisions you can. But by all means, go get a lot of data. I hate guys who say, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't need any help. I need help. You know, I listen to other experts. You know, I, I think it's foolish to just limit the intake of data points that you can have. If, you know, a bunch of people you respect to put a lot of work into something all tell you, boy, you know, I, I really like this player. I really like this situation. Even if it's just for one day or one game, boy, you know, I, I think you should be thinking really hard about that. It, it doesn't mean everybody gets everything right all the time, but just why limit the number of data points you've got coming in at you? And if if anybody, you know, Rube on the street who does not make a living at this, you know, puts hours and work hours into into something, I you know I'm interested in what you've got to say. And so I I think there's I get really distressed by the mentality that says I should have all the answers myself and I won't I won't listen to anybody else and. I run into those I get I run into those guys a lot and I think it's uh, I think yeah. it's really limiting and you know why would you want to limit the the amount of knowledge that you've got Well absolutely and you know Abraham Lincoln once said uh I'm I believe I'm smarter today than I was yesterday and I think that applies to fantasy where you may have an opinion but by god opinions change and rather than stick rock solid to this thing that I once said yesterday yeah. you know what if you've heard a new opinion if you've seen something new by God, change your opinion, right? Because we are learning and growing from day to day. I agree. Now, Mr. Charging, I got a real hard-hitting question for you here. I am drinking a uh, Shorts Puma Lupalicious. Now, I know you guys uh, favor tin whiskers over there. Is that correct? Well, some of the guys in the office do. I do not. I favor Grain Belt Premium here in Minnesota. Okay. It's a it's a it's a large regional brewery. Uh, owned by the same company for like I don't know close to 200 years, all in the family, and they uh, they brew uh, they brew shells products and grain belt products, and they've been a sponsor of my radio show for a decade, and uh, I got a lot of good friends there. So that's those are my guys, Grain Belt, the official beer of fantasy football. Grain Belt, I like it. And Pyromaniacs, you know we are sponsored by Founders Brewery, but Paul, I've gone to some uh, breweries in uh, Michigan and done some interviews from them, so. I like hearing about all kinds of beer, and uh, you, more importantly, I like drinking all kinds oh, of yeah, beer. Oh, yeah, don't we all? Uh, you know, if you're ever brave enough, uh, our brewery here, at, uh, where Grain Belt's brewed, is in uh, central Minnesota, and they have what they call Bach Fest. It's in the dead of winter, February in Minnesota, and it, it draws thousands and thousands of people to the brewery where there are tours and bands and games and a lot of Bach, and <laughs> there is... It's it's a huge huge event in uh, central Minnesota. If you uh, ever have the you ever get brave enough to come out, I will give you the uh, I will give you the, the personal uh, tour and uh, and guide through the Bachfest experience. I like it. I'm all for uh, venturing and finding new breweries. So I, I may uh, knock on your door one chilly fe- February evening in the future. That is a deal. Hey, now, Paul, we've talked about this before, and I alluded to it in the beginning. Uh, two things, really. Uh, do the opposite, which I want to get into, but also Empire Leagues. Uh, Pyromaniacs should be familiar with this, but it's a, it's a great twist on Dynasty Leagues. Tell us a bit about Empire Leagues. All right, so the, the premise in Empire Leagues is you take a Dynasty League, and you know one, one of the things that, that's always bothered me about every league is that it, it does not have an end point. You know, most leagues just sort of wither and die, and you know, like two or three guys drop, the commissioner gets disinterested, and the league just folds up. Um, there's not really an endpoint. There isn't a champion of the league. There's a reigning champion, but there's not the champion. The, you know, the guy who has won the league in perpetuity. So what Empire Leagues does is it says there could be guys who win from from year to year to year. 
But when somebody wins it two years in a row, that is the champion of the Empire League, and the league disbands. That's it. It's over. And so we have a finite end to it, which I really like. And then secondarily, every year we split the pot in half, and we give half of it to that year's winners, and we do the other half as a rolling pot waiting for somebody to win it for the second year in a row. And so what ends up happening is that money accrues to something pretty meaningful. So by the time you get to somebody winning in like year five or year six, you may very well have payouts of several thousand dollars. And that turns it into, uh, it gives it sort of a a level of, uh, I guess, interest in, you know, the whole thing and, and gravity to the whole league. When you've got thousands and thousands of dollars on the line, I mean, you know, people that that's, you know, I want to win in a whole new way. You know, you always want to win. And, you know, fantasy is rarely about the money first, but this is a situation where, you know, now that's a, that's a huge payday. And I know that I can do a lot with, you know, $4,000 that we've been, our league's been accruing over the course of six years. So that's, um, that's the the bit behind the Empire League. Uh, We love it a lot. We think it's a a great fun way to play. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a lateral move from dynasty. And for people who love dynasty, here's a way to to really supercharge a dynasty league with a, a, a really different kind of viewpoint and especially one where if you are the winner, I mean, how much fun is it to know that you're the winner and the whole league is gunning for you because they don't want you to win it back-to-back years? Tons of fun. Right, and it keeps everyone vested. Even if you're, you know, one win and uh, 10 losses, if you're going up against last year's winner, boy, you know, you're hitting the waivers. You are fully invested in that week's game, and that's one of the things that Dynasty, you know, can happen. Guys can drop out if they're not having a good season, uh, lose interest over years, and that solves all those problems. One reason I, I really love the Empire idea. Yes, thank you. It's, um, it's, it's one of, you know, having been in this industry for 25 years now, almost, um, it's one of the things that, that, uh, that I've come up with that I'm most proud of, to be honest. I, I love the Empire League idea. And you guys offer this for folks who may not be in an area that has a bunch of uh, – in it within the know players, maybe guys that don't want to do dynasty around your area, you can find this on league safe. Can you not? Uh, we have a, um, we've got an, uh, a side project called safe leagues and safe leagues like league safe um, are that all the funds are protected by league safe, but that's an area where you can go to join empire leagues. So if you don't know somebody who, you know, you don't have nine other guys that want to get into an empire league. We, we help build leagues and safe leagues. I, I think it's fantastic. And uh, of course my pyro pro members know out there, we're going to be trying to uh, get you in uh, some chat rooms this year and get you guys connected with some guys that really want to play. And uh, we're going to be using um, league safe to uh, take care of all the, the sticky business, all, right. all the funds, right? All the, all the net messy business that you don't really want to have to deal with. <laughs> That's great. Appreciate it. Now, another thing I really love from you is the do the opposite strategy. Now, as I said, I've talked to Matt Harrison and John Tuvey, uh, so our, our pyromaniacs should be fairly familiar with it. But to many, maybe some of our newer listeners that are scratching their head when I say do the opposite strategy, can you break that down for us? Well, it's um, I know the zero running back uh, theories become very well known in the last couple of years, but um, I started writing about this 12 years ago, um, and the concept behind do the opposite is really what, what now what people now call zero running back and do the opposite is uh, we, you know, you do not take a running back for the first four rounds and you go other directions. And it's for all the reasons that now zero running back guys have been touting that we've been saying for a long time, the volatility of the running backs are too high and you're putting too much risk at the, at your most valuable selections and the, uh, the predictability of the other positions uh, is is so good that you're just better off not taking running backs early. And, you know, it's it's now become, you know, when I was first touting this, again, 12 years ago, you know, um, you can, you know, it was all, but it was all running backs all the time in the first three rounds. And there were, you know, there were teams that, you know, especially the first three rounds, you know, just over, uh, over preponderance of it. Now I think people have learned so much and have had so many first round failures. Yeah, it needless to say, last year was a, a complete disaster for the position. You know, Eddie Lacy, Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Charles, Marshawn Lynch, uh, Jeremy Hill, Justin Forsett, 
Frank Gore, DeMarco Murray. I mean, you know, you know, the list goes on. I mean, just nobody performed. So, um, you know, I think now it's it's getting to the point of almost being self-evident that you should do the opposite. And now I, I think, you know, overwhelmingly we're seeing we're seeing drafters get a lot more savvy and stop taking running backs at, at the top of the draft. Well, so exactly right. I, I think people are becoming more savvy and people are going to this, whether they know it's called do the opposite or not. It, it's a strategy I'm seeing employed more. So. Let me pose this question to you. You're at the back of a draft, and as opposed to everyone taking running backs, as has been the norm, all of a sudden you kind of sense that everyone in front of you is essentially doing the opposite. So when it comes to you, if a bunch of wide receivers and pass catchers go off the board, are you sticking to your guns, or are you, in a sense, flipping the script? Um, I stick to my guns because even, you know, even if, uh, let's take a best-case scenario. You know, your pick seven. And Adrian Peterson's there. And maybe that is the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still, I mean, just, just the inherent risk that comes with the running back doesn't suddenly go away. You know, my inclination is is going to remain that you just, you just don't do it on principle. And, you know, you're drafting, you know, you're drafting a wide receiver instead, or you're drafting Gronk instead. And you're, you're going to, you're going to take the reliable output that you traditionally get from those other positions. And, not just not take on the risk that comes with uh, that comes with running backs. Well, you, you mentioned Gronk. Now I know last year you were an advocate for taking him first round, if not number one. Number one. Yes. Um, now where are you with that today with the Gronk? Is it and is it well? Let me let me have you answer the question first. Uh, who are you taking number one, and do you still see Gronk as a viable option there? Um, I don't know yet, and is, is, and right now because it's early April and we haven't even had the draft yet, I think I can safely say that I, I haven't firmed up my number one pick yet. But I think Gronk has has to be and should be in that conversation because of the positional differentiation he gives you. And you know, tight end be, ended up being really thin last year, with with the exception of a couple of guys. I mean, I can't even tell you for certain who is the number two tight end for this coming season. Is it Tyler Eifert? Maybe. Um, I, I, and the list is so thin. Is it Greg Olson? Because you just, you want to get your six, seven, eight touchdowns that he gets every year, but just, you know, Gronk gives you the crazy, almost one touchdown per game production that he's given you over his career. And unless you think this is the year that Tom Brady's going to, you know, finally go belly up and everything's going to catch up with him. I, I think you should be in, I think Gronk should certainly be in consideration for that. You know, again, I'm not taking running back. So, you know, then your other, I think the other guys you're going to be looking at are Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham. And I think, I think the, I think those are going to be the only four viable, viable selections for the first overall pick right now. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. There was uh there was Gronk last year, you know, number one, Jordan Reed right behind him. And then there was this mix of guys from Barnage to Kelsey that were basically 50 points or I'm sorry, 30 points within each other. But like you say, positional differential for Gronk is huge more so than any other position. Yeah. Now moving to uh, the running back position. So we're talking about guys, if you're doing the opposite strategy, you're, you're talking about fourth rounders, maybe beyond somewhere around there. So let me ask you about a couple of last year's greenhorns some of these guys will be available but uh two ends of the spectrum let me start with this out of the backs last year that were given at least 50 carries the three with the highest yards per carry were carlos williams thomas rawls and spencer ware now i want to start with rawls because uh, at pyromaniac we've been doing our draft kit we, we are just releasing our second version so i'm really noticing changes in the way i'm ranking guys and rawls is starting to fall for me now, just to recap, Rawls, six games last year, he was afforded double-digit carries. He nabbed 100 yards or a TD in five of those. Lynch is gone. I'm not buying the Bryce Brown or Christine Michael uh, movement, although I was at one time a Christine Michael truther. I'm seeking help for it one day at a time, <laughs> but uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a great support system, great program, but I, I won't uh, talk about my personal enabling of Christine Michael aside. Uh Thomas Rawls, he runs like a madman, and I love it, but I'm concerned for his durability, and perhaps a bigger worry for me is that offensive line. Of course, Unger left last year. Sweezy's now gone. Okung is gone. In fact, they've only got Britt, who uh, 
was on the Super Bowl starting team in 2014 left. I even looked up on PFF. Uh, Patrick Lewis is their highest ranked O lineman, and he's ranked 24th out of centers. Yeah. So I'm concerned for that O line. But how do you see a Thomas Rawls where everywhere I'm looking, people are very excited about this kid, and he's falling in my tears as opposed to rising, but uh, just because of basically how he runs and that O line. What do you think of this kid? Well, Let's see what they do in the draft because it's a huge area of weakness for them. And I, I, I'll be shocked if they don't address it in a significant way in the draft. Um, you're right that I thought they'd be more active in free agency, but you know, they're a team with a lot of salary cap issues and it's not easy for them to add meaningfully add, add players. Um, the, the line was a, was a sizable concern and it definitely, it definitely affected the production of all of their players until you know, the last third of the season when the line finally started to get started to get healthy, these all these new pieces started to play together better, and then that offense went berserk. I think this is still a, a, a fundamentally very sound offense, and I think they're still capable of playing well. But you know, what we saw in the first the first third of the season by Seattle and really all year by uh with Denver, you know, goes to show you that, you know, if your offensive line is bad enough, it affects you, you know, dramatically in all the players. Um, I, I think Rawls is a pretty special talent. Um, yeah. He's um, he's not he is and you're exactly correct that he's dramatically better than all the other runners that they've got. You know there is there's going to be no meaningful competition for him, and I I believe he will walk in as as the starter. And when your offensive line's that bad, you're going to have some really inconsistent output, and I think that's going to be the situation until they address it. But you know draft days ahead of us, and I believe they. They will, they will be able to make some inroads uh, over the course of the draft. They, they simply have to. And if they don't, we'll, we'll have a – I will be sharing – at that point, I will be sharing your caution. Yeah, I, I'm uh, cautiously skeptical with the O-line there, but I, I love what I see on tape. I love how the kid runs. And yeah. another guy I really like is Carlos Williams, um, 11 games last year in 2015 scored a touchdown or a hundred yards and or a hundred yards in eight of those 11 games. Heck he had seven TDs in his first six games. However, it's a super volatile stat touchdowns. And of course uh, it looks like he is still going to be playing second fiddle there. McCoy uh, doesn't seem to be getting into any trouble though. Who really knows what's going on, but it seems like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Do you think Carlos Williams has value in and of itself, or is he only a handcuffer? I think he does have value because the rotation that they used and the rotation we've seen Rex Ryan use with the Jets. I mean, as as for me, a longtime Chris Ivory Beast East apologist, sure, sure. you know, drove me nuts with Rex Ryan. And you know, I I always wanted to see him turn Chris Ivory into a lead back, and he never did it. So I I believe Carlos Williams will continue to be a change of pace guy. I think he's going to continue to be a goal line guy. And we saw him be fantasy football meaningful in that role last year. Now, you know, I, I'm like everybody, I'm concerned with all the time that he missed and all the different nagging injuries that he had. But, you know, when healthy, he clearly has a nose for the stripe. He runs with the ter- determination and some speed and power. And there's a there's a lot to like. You know, that's I, I believe as a do the opposite drafter, he's the kind of guy that I'm targeting in the middle of my draft and somebody that I'm, I can start most weeks and. I think he ends up helping you out more often than he doesn't. And I, I'm, you know, would I love it if he were, if he got more carries? Sure. But LaShawn McCoy ran great last year. And I, I don't think it's reasonable to think that, that, you know, you can't go into this season thinking it'll it'll be that different. But for me, all that, all those touches means McCoy is a guy that I tend to avoid. And he only scored three touchdowns last year, got, got hurt frequently. I think, I think, you know, the better, the bigger storyline to me is I don't want LaShawn McCoy and I'm not going to pay the premium that comes with him being the starter and him being name recognizable for fantasy owners. Uh, To me, I would much rather spend my, you know, sixth round pick on Carlos Williams than my second or third round pick on LaShawn McCoy. And that's where, you know, do the opposite comes in handy. One of our guys, uh, Staggs, he is always talking about, you know, the second guy, in a handcuff situation, you know, volatility at the position, guys get injured. Yep. Uh, opportunity could certainly be there for a Carlos Williams, who, again, one of the three backs, over 50 carries, 
uh, averaged 5.6 yards per carry, as did the last guy I want to talk about, Spencer Ware. They've got an embarrassment of riches at the running back position. Jamal Charles returning after his second ACL injury. Now, he's getting older, but uh, the first time this happened, 2011, the next season, just over 1,500 rushing yards, 5.3 yards per carry. Granted, old man time continues. Health is a concern, but gosh, they've got Spencer Ware, Charkandrick West, and even Niall Davis is there. So what do you see? Who do you like in the Kansas City offense? Who might you have on one of your teams? Probably none, because three heads, is, it might be a little rich for my taste, and I think all three are going get, to get a taste most games. But if I had to take one, I'm going to take Spencer Ware, the 5.7 yards per carry, the six touchdowns in six games within which he had meaningful carries, and the fact that he's built to be a goal line carrier. And I think if there's one guy that's going to emerge out of that as the most reliable scorer, there's a there's a good chance it's him. And, you know, when I say of the group, that's who I want, that's assuming I, I have to pay the ADP on all of those guys. There are going to be people that are going to take Jamal Charles in the first or second round. And, you know, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, not only is it to do the opposite principle, just, you know, that's a crowded backfield, a lot of good backs. And I, I don't want to have to pay a first or second round pick for that. I would rather take Spencer Ware, a player who I'm guessing you're going to end up taking in the seventh, eighth round is I'm, I'm, I'm estimating his ADP, maybe later, maybe it's ninth round, 10th round. And I think there's a decent chance you walk away with the goal line back. Yeah, like you say, a three-headed monster there. We've got uh, running back by committee. I've, I've deemed those uh, three-headed monsters running back by community when there's just uh, too many fingers in the pie. Now, How about this one? Uh, how about, and I'm just thinking this off the top of my head. So we're going to go running back by C's. How about running back by Cerebrus? Wasn't the Cerebrus the three-headed, the three-headed dog beast thing? Cerebus? Is it Cerebus? Cerebrus? I'm not Boy, good I on my Greek up, mythology here. I am up on my Greek mythology. I know um, Charybdis is uh, the five-headed dragon that stops Odysseus from uh, wow. Scylla and Charybdis, stops Odysseus from uh, going through the straits there by Italy and um, uh, Sicily. Charybdis. So there might be a Cerebrus, three-headed. I know Charybdis is the five-headed. I've just Googled it. Cerebrus in Greek mythology is often called the Hounds of Hades. It's a monstrous three-headed dog who guards the gates of the underworld, preventing the dead from leaving. Cerebrus, Charybdis, either way, I don't want to meet him in a dark alley. Good deal. Let's agree. Let's agree on that. All right, Paul. Now, I, I feel like I've gotten to know you over this, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so here. And so I'm going to ask you a personal question, brother. Are you a handcuff guy? <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask. Um, <laughs> Pillow talk. Thank you. Um, handcuffing was a term that we invented uh, at Fanball. Uh, in the, really? Yep. In the, mm, I want to guess about 97, we... Um, we started, that was when Fantasy Football Weekly, our magazine, was going, and we uh, we coined that term as a, we now understand it, and um, it was a, uh, it's one of those, another one of those things that you're proud of, having been in the industry for a long time when people have picked up your vernacular. So, yeah. um, I am mostly not a believer in handcuffing, because the cost for the handcuff is, tends to be too high. If If that handcuffed guy is just sitting there doing nothing, waiting for an injury, I'd much rather have a, a boomer bust guy. So let's say I got to have two, I got to have two handcuffs for players that let's say, I don't know, like a, uh, to use Minnesota as an example, you're going to handcuff Matt Asiata, who's going to do nothing unless Adrian Peterson goes down. I'd rather have somebody who I'd rather have somebody who can, you know, has a chance of chipping in some stats who, a chance to um, a chance to help me out on a on a on a on a bye week. I just think it feels like so much dead weight, and you're just hoping for the worst. Uh, to me, that's just not that's just not how I, I generally want to do business. And part of this bias comes from the fact that I, I like I like thin rosters, and I believe that the best leagues um, force people to really make tough decisions on their roster. And I, I don't like 18, 20. 20 man rosters. If you can do that, fine. Handcuff. It takes no skill. You know, handcuff all you want. I don't care. But when you're dealing with a 13 and 14, uh, maybe even up to a 15 man roster, you got to make some really hard decisions. And I, I like that. And that's, um, 
that's you know at that point I'm not handcuffing. I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go try to find somebody who has a chance of just going out and just you know winning a job. That's yeah. to me that's to me that's a much better it's a much better alternative. And I prefer that I prefer that approach and I think that's um, that's how you end up with like a Devonta Freeman is taking that kind of approach instead of uh, you know just slapping some ha- some handcuff together on a guy that's not going to help you out. Yeah, now you mentioned uh, etymology, and I, I'm with you on the handcuff belief there. You mentioned etymology, as I say, I'm hoping for the uh, running back by community to break. Uh, if we were creating an Oxford English Dictionary for fantasy football, am I wrong? But were you one of the first to say, uh, mention quarterback whisperer? <laughs> I don't know how you know that, but <laughs> that, that I, I was I was the first to refer to Mark Trustman that way um, during, <laughs> during a Chicago radio interview, and it and it clicked. <laughs> I, I didn't know I don't know how you know that, but yes, that is true. I, I am a master of uh, you know facts that really don't help me out in in most facets of life, but I excel right here in this little niche. That's that's very impressive research. I got to tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, So back to fantasy here, uh, some actual players, some of the rookies that we were excited about at this time last year, but we really didn't get to see. Let's start in Chicago. Uh, They could have quite an interesting tandem in Alshon Jeffrey and Kevin White. Now, when he came out last year, he was, of course, the, the second most hyped wide receiver behind AC, that being Amari Cooper. I even saw a few that kind of went out on a limb and, and were talking up white over Cooper. Uh, now he ran white, according to David T. Thomas's scouting report, a 4.3540. That is lightning fast. Yeah. Uh, what do you expect from him and John Fox's offense? After all, we saw Sanders and Demarius fare very well under Fox in Denver. What do you see for Jeffrey and White in Chicago in 2016? I think he's going to be a fantastic sleeper. I loved him in college. I loved him coming out of the draft. I had him as my number two wide receiver for last year's draft. Um, I, I, I thought Jay Cutler was uh, at, had his, he's coming off his best season as a pro. I'm disappointed that he lost Adam Gates, but yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's life and work with it. Hopefully he learned, you know, he, he took away some really valuable lessons that he can, he can have going forward. I'm, I'm super optimistic about white. I think the, I think he's got a great skill set and a different one from Alshon Jeffrey. And that's going to help him a lot. And defenses are, are going to have to play him honest because Alshon requires a lot of attention. I mean, Alshon's great. And because this is, because he's so different, I think it's going to unlock a really multi-dimensional passing attack. And, um, and, and by the way, now that they're, they're, you know, almost without a tight end, I mean, Zach Miller for as long as he can hold together is the only guy they've got. I think that makes it just that much more, um, that much more compelling of a case for Kevin White. And you know what I love? Another thing is just so many fantasy players simply won't take, you know, won't draft or auction for a guy they haven't already seen do it. They right, just right. can't get themselves to pony up on guys that they haven't seen with their own two eyes already having done it once. And that's going to drive down his value and make him, I think, I think he'll be under, he'll be underpriced. I'm confident in most leagues. Yeah, we're doing a, a piece coming up very soon, a return on investment, uh, some real guys you can get on the cheap that's going to outperform their ADP. He's one of my guys. I, You know, this recency biased, uh, we all have last year as though last year is going to be a blueprint for this year. Right. Uh, that never happens. And uh, with that in mind, people, you know, White, he's not popping up on any of the stat charts, obviously. People are really slipping on him and forgetting him. Now, another, I do want to get to another guy that the same thing happened to, but before we leave Chicago, uh, another person that left Chicago is, of course, Forte going to the Jets. That leaves Langford as the main back as of today, as you said, early April. Now, he finished 2015 season with 146 attempts, but just 3.6 yards per carry. He only had uh, 1.8 yards after contact. That, that's below Jonathan Grimes and theoretic level. He only had one run that went for at least 20 yards or more. Uh, now, he did have a bit of a nose for the end zone, seven TDs on limited work. Uh, now, but the thing is, with touchdowns, very volatile, hard to repeat. Yep. Touch, touchdowns accounted for 34% of this guy's fantasy value. I just watched Langford. I'm about three-fourths of the way through watching all of his snaps on uh, Game Pass. And I got to tell you, I think there was maybe like one or two runs that really boosted his stats, and that was about it. 
Uh, I'm not as high on him as I once was after seeing him. What do you, what's your take on Langford in Chicago? Um, I share your concerns. Um, you know, he had, he had that, that long screen pass touchdown. I want to say it was screen pass, like 80, 90 yarder at the end yeah. of the season um, that I think was kind of flashy and that people might remember. But uh, I, I, you know, there weren't that many plays that made you say, wow, this guy's special. Now what do you, no. the advantage he's got right now is he's got like no competition, you know, Kadeem Carey and Jaquez Rogers are, are guys that are no threat to him. And just through sheer volume, I think that there's, there's a decent chance that he, he ends up with a, a, a serviceable fantasy season, but uh, he's not Matt Forte. He can't catch like Forte. He can't make me miss like he can. And I, I think he's just a, a good, not great runner. So I, I, I mostly concur with your analysis, to be honest. And I think you're seeing it very clearly. Yeah, uh, he's moving down uh, my stats. As I said, I always kind of avoid guys with a real high touchdown uh, percent that really inflated their fantasy value out of the top 30. Uh, There's only five guys that were more dependent on TD value for their fantasy points. And just watching him on Game Pass, like you say, three or four big plays that people remember that boosted his stats, but that was kind of it. A lot of stuff, just blah, in between average stuff that I saw out of him. Agreed. Now, I, I know we're going to get going here, and uh, folks, uh, I've got Paul Chargian. Give him a follow over on Twitter, P-A-U-L-C-H-A-R-C-H-I-A-N. Two more quick, well, not quick ones, but two more for you, Paul. We mentioned Kevin White being a guy that we did not see last year could have sneaky value this year. What about uh, old man Perriman? I only say old man if you've ever seen the guy. He, Jeez. <laughs> he needs he needs some uh, some of that youth cream that uh, uh, Cindy Crawford is selling because gosh he he looks like he's fifty years old. Does he look as, but, does he uh, look as old as his dad, Brett Perryman, who I've had on fantasy teams. Yeah, he's a, a Motown man, uh, one of the Lion greats. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he looks right up there with his dad. Now White uh, was clocked uh, NFL.com 4.24, 4.27. They had two speeds for him at his forty. Now, he was big hyped last year. Baltimore certainly needs some wide receiver help, although they got Wallace. Uh, but what is your expectations for um, Brashard Perriman? Um, well, I'll start with this. It's still early to know for sure when he's still right now, as of you know, early April, not running fully. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you know, this is this has been one of the longest running PCL injuries I can remember, and. You know, it, we're going to have to learn a lot more. Now, they, they brought in Mike Wallace, but, you know, Wallace should presumably be doing something, you know, running very similar routes as a speed downfield guy. Um, right. If, assuming Perryman is at 100%, then the question is, all right, we know Steve Smith's got one side of the field, and he's going to be a starter. So now, is Perryman going to walk into a starting job, or is he going to have to beat out Mike Wallace? Is he going to have to beat out? How about Kimar Aiken, who played shockingly well? Totally different receiver. But, I mean, I just don't know now that Perryman, unlike last year when there was just nobody else, I don't know that he's just granted the starting job there and that he's going to get regular reps, especially early in the season. I, my worry is that there's going, to be, there's going to be too much competition for him. He's going to, you know, his snap count's going to be at 40%, 50%. And, you know, Mike Wallace is going to get his taste and, and Aiken's going to get some. And then, you know, there's just not that much to go around. And unless Perryman just absolutely blows up, it might take him until November before he's getting 70 or 80 percent of the work. And at that point, your fantasy season's mostly over. So I, right now, I, I have more concern. Again, it's only April and this could definitely change in training camp and in preseason. But right now, I have more concern than anything else for Perryman. I agree with that uh, completely. It was worrisome, I thought, when they went out and got Wallace, a speedster, filling the very same similar role as uh, Brashard Perriman could. And the fact that this injury has been lingering so long is, I think, worrisome. Now, Paul, before I let you go, i got one more for okay. you. Uh, there's a, a famous song performed by Amos Milburn, but I think it was immortalized by Mr. John Lee Hooker. He sang, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. So if, if you don't have them all, I'll take one or two, but one bounce back, one sleeper, and one bust for 2016. All right. Let's, uh, let's go sleeper first. How about Duke Johnson? 
Um, I'll give you two different, a couple of angles on Duke Johnson because everybody always wants a running back sleeper, and it's you know it's it's the genie in the bottle. It's, I mean, it's hard to get, yeah. but let's talk about Duke Johnson. You know, he he languished last year mostly in a really bad offense, and um, I don't think he was ever very special as a runner, but I think he's really pretty special as a receiver. And I see Hugh Jackson giving him a Giovanni Bernard-like role and really capitalizing on his pass-catching ability, something that we did not get to see last year. And I trust this. I trust Hugh Jackson, who's been a running back guru kind of everywhere he's gone, a lot more than I trust um, than I trust others. And so I, I think there's a good chance here that Duke Johnson ends up being a meaningful PPR helper. So there's uh, there's sleeper. My bounce back player is Melvin Gordon, the ye who did not score a touchdown last year. So it wouldn't it wouldn't take a lot to get him to improve on last season. Um, Melvin was always a guy in college that did his best work at the second level. When he got when he could get past the line of scrimmage and then got lined up with linebackers, he crushed. Now his offensive line last year was so bad he never got to the second level. Exactly. He was taking handoffs and the guy was just swarmed under. He's um, he's not great at just sort of making his own yardage. And he's not great at having to take make a one-step adjustment right after the handoff. He's a guy who needs a head of steam. If we can get the Chargers offensive line better through the draft, and it got a little bit better in free agency, then I, I think Melvin Gordon's in a, a good position right now to step forward and um, and really be a, a meaningful bounce-back player. And, and I, I, I don't know that I, I think – I don't know that you're going to want to have to rely on him as one of your, your two starting running backs, but as one of a couple of guys that you could, you could throw into the mix. I think there's, I think there's, I think there's something to be said for, for pinning some hopes on him. So, um, and then for my, um, my bus player, I'm going to go with one of the bus players I had last year that looked brilliant for three months and then terrible in one month. And it's Russell Wilson. Um, He was one of my prime bus guys last year. And again, you know, through up until Thanksgiving, it looked pretty brilliant. And then he went completely berserk. So for some of the reasons that, um, that we talked about before offensive line, um, I, I have some concern about Russell Wilson, who does not routinely throw you to victory and has to run to victory. You talked about the volatility of the touchdown stat. And by the way, you're exactly right. The volatility that comes via rushing numbers for quarterbacks is enormously dangerous and until I see further proof that that offensive line is going to, to give him enough time to be a consistent passer, I'm going to show a lot of caution on Russell Wilson. I think people are going to remember the great end-of-season run. I think they're going to overdraft him. They're going to overdraft Baldwin. I'm, I am showing caution right now on Russell Wilson. Love all the calls, uh, particularly the Melvin Gordon bounce back and, and the Duke Johnson sleeper and a gutsy one with uh, Russell Wilson. Paul Charging, I really – can't thank you enough for uh, spending some time and having a fantasy football talk with me. I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, you you know what you're doing, man. This has been a this has been a lot of fun, and uh, let's see if we can't do it again sometime before the season starts. Okay. Hey, it would really be my pleasure. Fantasy fans and pyromaniacs, that was Paul Charging. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Charging. That's P A U L C H A R C H I A N. And he of course is the Fantasy Sports Hall he's in the Fantasy Sports Hall of Fame and president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Check him out and the stuff he's do, doing with some of the fantastic guys over at League Safe and League Safe Post. You can hear him on the almost daily podcast uh, throughout all of the off season from time to time and every week on the longest running fantasy football radio show in the country fantasy football weekly that was paul charging you know me gang i am pyromaniac mo give me a follow on twitter and as of course we will catch you on the flip side 